Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in April of 2017 and is located just down the street from Lincoln Center in the Lincoln Square neighborhood of Manhattan. Our channel will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service, as well as encouraging stories and conversations with members of our LSQ church family. We hope you'll subscribe as a way to stay connected during this season of uncertainty and social distancing. Today's reading is from Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. Amen. Well, thank you, Eileen. And for all of you, welcome again to Redeemer Lincoln Square's virtual worship service. My name is Joe, and I'm one of the pastors here. And it's such a joy and a privilege to be able to worship together with you this morning. Now, during the summer, we've been going through a sermon series on the book of Psalms. And today we're going to be looking at Psalm 32. And it's really a psalm about guilt and the absolution of guilt. Now, it's an opportune moment in the life of our church to be looking at this topic of guilt because of the cultural moment uh, that we're in. Now, why do I say that? Well, I say that because we see so much injustice all around us, don't we? We see the the pandemic and all of the devastation it left in its wake. We see uh, poverty. We see systemic racism. We see violence all around us. And deep down in our hearts, if we're being honest with ourselves, we know that we're just a mouse click away of being able to do something about it. Whether it's posting on social media to raise awareness, uh, whether it's uh, being able to give to a charitable organization, we know that there are all of these things that we could do to meet the needs that are so prevalent all around us, but we always get a sense that we're not doing enough. And so there's guilt that comes from that. But not only that, we live in a highly divisive culture, don't we? Right? There are so many opinions and views that are at odds against one another with almost every issue that is developing in our society. And it seems like there's always insults that are lobbed towards the other side. And unless you are able to completely insulate yourself in a little bubble of an idea... You can't help but feel like you're getting attacked from the other side. 
and you're left having to defend yourself. And the sense of defensiveness, the sense of guilt that is thrown your way is intensified during this period of social isolation. And so if you're anything like me, the moment you open up the news or social media, you're left feeling tired. And the psalmist, David here, is also experiencing guilt. And we see that he's worn out. The passage tells us, my strength is sapped as in the heat of summer. And that's what guilt does to you. But notice here in our text, notice how the psalm ends. And all the way at the end of the psalm, it says, Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright, and heart. And so what we see here in the psalm is that David was able to work through his guilt and get to a place of rejoicing. Now, how does he get there? It's through repentance. And you know, this psalm is really instructive for us. And so what I'd like for us to do this morning is look at this topic of repentance by tracing the movement of David's heart. And we're going to find three things. First, we're going to take a look at the effects of guilt. And secondly, we're going to see that we can find our way out of guilt by way of repentance. And lastly, we're going to find that repentance is possible because of the power of forgiveness. The effects of guilt, the way of repentance, and lastly, the power of forgiveness. So let's take a look at these three things. But first, the effects of guilt. And for this, let's take a look at uh, verses 3 to 4. It says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Now here's what's going on. David says, When I kept silent. Now, another way to translate this phrase is to say, I kept it when I kept it within me. Now here we find an active intentional withholding or silence on David's part. And so what, it, what we find is that whatever he was guilt-ridden over, he's, he's taken active measures to silence the guilt. Now let me flesh this out a little bit, because all of us do this in one way or another, where we look to silence or absolve ourselves of the guilt that we're experiencing. Right? There are numerous ways in which we do this. Let me uh, give you a little bit of a list. One of the ways in which we look to absolve or silence our guilt is to take this guilt and to place it on others. Right? We call it blame shifting. It's really not my fault. It's this person's fault over here. Right? Blame shifting. Or another way we do it is to justify it. Right? We look to explain away our guilt. Another way we do it is by distracting ourselves away from it. You may look to lose yourself in your work or uh, lose yourself in Netflix or hobbies or even in religious activities. Right? They may all look different, but the, common, uh, but the common thing is we are looking for a way to medicate ourselves, right? distracting ourselves away from this guilt. We may look to do this by criticizing or cutting other people down. Right? One of the common ways in which we do this is by turning to social media where we look for others who don't share our values and we look to pass judgment on them. It's a way to make ourselves feel better by putting others down. Or we may look to do good. Where we say, I may have a deficit in this one area 
And so let me try to have a surplus in this other area. Let me give my money away to charitable organizations. Let me give myself to activism. And by creating a surplus in this other area, maybe it'll cover up this deficit that I'm experiencing another area in my life. Or lastly, there's a religious version of this where if we feel bad enough about ourselves, if we're miserable enough about our guilt, about our sins, maybe we'd be absolved of this guilt somehow. Now this is a list that was given and it was adapted by, uh, adapted from Tim Keller. And as I was reading through this list, I found it to be so helpful. But you know, if I'm being honest with you, the, the more I looked at it, I realized I do every, every single one of these almost on a daily basis. I realized that these are habits that I've cultivated over time unknowingly, right? Because this is what we do. And because I'm living out of these habits that I've cultivated over time and looking to absolve myself of this guilt, I find that it's ingrained in me. And I also find that this is what leads me to incite arguments with my wife, right? This is what leads me to lash out at my son. This is what leads me to resent others. Because if I were to examine whatever ills that plague my life, and if I were to trace all of these to their roots, I guarantee you it's because I am living out of a sense of guilt and whatever gets in the way of my attempts to alleviate and absolve myself of that guilt, that's where my destructive tendencies come in. And we all do this from one degree to another. See, our bones, they waste away. They eat away at us as we live out of this sense of guilt. But what's interesting about this passage is it actually points us to the source of our misery. And it's a surprising source. And we find it in verse 4, where David says, Your hand was heavy on me day and night. Your hand. Now, do you realize at this point what David's saying? Right, for all of the different ways his guilt was weighing him down, what he recognizes is that it was actually none other than God's hand that was heavy on him. Now, why is that? Why would God allow this sense of guilt to persist in him? Well, you get the answer down in verses 8 to 9. Right, let me read it for you, and this is God speaking, where he says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. And listen to what God says in verse 9. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. See, and we'll see more of this in the next point, but it is God's desire for his people to not live with this guilt, but to come to him, but to come to him with their guilt and repentance. What we find is that like the psalmist here, like David, we often don't. We try to absolve ourselves of this guilt. And so what we find here is that this heavy hand of God 
is a severe but nevertheless gracious act on his part to draw us to himself. He's saying, don't live with that guilt within you. I want you to bring it to me. And he's saying that so that we can experience the blessedness or the happiness that is described in the opening verses of the psalm, where it says, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. See, to live without deceit, to live freely and honestly as we are, without constantly trying to put a spin on things or feebly trying to justify ourselves, but to be able to breathe out, to escape from underneath the weight of this guilt. Now that's the freedom that God is looking to give. He's saying there is no way you're going to absolve yourself of that guilt. It's only going to bring you down. So bring that guilt to me so that it can experience the freedom that I have for you. And that is the reason for the heavy hand. Because otherwise we're always going to live in bondage and out of the guilt. But here's the question. How can we go from guilt to freedom? How can we go from guilt uh, to a sense, a life of blessedness and happiness? And what we find, and it doesn't come easily, as we'll see in a moment, but it can only come through the way of repentance. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastors and other members of our church community. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us for our virtual worship service on YouTube every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Eastern. You can find our YouTube channel at lincolnsquare.redeemer.com slash YouTube. So let's take a look at this, the way of repentance. And for this, let me read for you verse 5. Where it says, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. Now here we learn three things about repentance. And we find to repent, you need to do these three things. First is to acknowledge. The second is to uncover. And the third is to confess. Right? That's what it means to bring your guilt to God. And that's what it means to repent. So first, acknowledge. Now remember earlier, I mentioned all of the different ways in which we try to absolve ourselves of our guilt. Right? Blame shifting, justifying, putting down others, feeling bad for ourselves. Well, to acknowledge is to set those things aside and to look inside ourselves and to see all of the sin and the guilt and to admit it for what it is. To say, it is my guilt, it is my sin. It's not primarily a response to some ill-informed, ill-tempered person who offended me. It's not primarily a response to my upbringing. 
is to simply say it is my sin, it is my guilt. And to bring it wholly to God without excuse, without defending yourself, without putting a spin on it to make yourself feel better, to bring it as it is to God is what repentance is about. right? To acknowledge and admit our sin and our guilt. But secondly, it's to uncover. Now remember all the way back in Genesis when Adam and Eve ate from the tree? right? What is the thing that they do? The first thing that they do is they uh, cover themselves. And the second thing they do is hide. Now to uncover our sin, to uncover our guilt, is to do the exact opposite of that. It's to come out of hiding and to bring ourselves wholly, completely revealed to God. To say, this is who I am. With all of my warts and my scars and my wrinkles and all of my imperfection, I bring myself nakedly and wholly before you without any coverings. Now let me just say this real quickly. For many of us, we have coverings that we don't even know about. And so the work of ongoing repentance is to continue to peel back the layers of the habits that we formed in trying to justify ourselves, right? To get to the real me and all of its authenticity and all of its nakedness. Now, this may involve the work of examining and even in some ways revisiting the trauma that you've experienced that continue to haunt you to this day that affect the person that you are. This may involve the work of examining and, and, and uncovering the hidden vices that you've explained away for so long that you don't even know you have it. And it also may involve the work, the scary work of requesting to God and asking Him to peel back some of those layers for you. As the psalmist says in Psalm 139, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It may involve the uncomfortable work of inviting the Holy Spirit into you and asking Him to peel back those layers and uncovering the real you. It's to do the work of bringing all of your broken self fully uncovered before God. To uncover. But lastly, it's to confess. Now, this, uh, this word confess is an interesting word. Because if you look at the definition of the original Hebrew word, though it's translated confess here, it's also translated quite frequently as praise. And so much so that scholars had to wonder if the two meanings are interchangeable, confess and praise. Now here's a question, how in the world are those two meanings related such that they're almost interchangeable? Now, let me explain it this way. Uh, the great theologian John Calvin in his book Institutes, if you look at the opening pages, here's what he basically says. He says, to rightly know yourself, you need to know God. And to rightly know God, you need to know yourself. And here's what he means. If you continually look to God and his perfection, the deeper you look into who this God is, you can't help 
but then in reflection look to yourself and recognize that you fall short. And conversely speaking, as you look to yourself and your imperfections, then you can't help but look to a God who himself is perfection and look to him for mercy. Or to put it another way, here's what one commentator says. This confession is not a moralistic, autobiographical catalog of sins. right? Individual infractions of a legal code. But this is a confession of an underlying sinfulness that engulfs all humankind and separates us from the holy God who is even to be praised for his judgments by which he awakes repentance. Because see, the way you and I, the way we tend to think of confession and repentance is self-centered. And so we say, how can I ease my conscience? Right? How can I feel better about myself? Right? How can I alleviate my guilt? And for the religious among us, right, God happens to be at the highest up the totem pole when it comes to moral authority, so we go there. And so we say, uh, if we can use this God and somehow receive uh, this forgiveness uh, and receive this alleviation of guilt, uh, then we'll be happy and we can go on our merry way. But you know, the Christian idea of repentance involves a restoration of relationship. Because the Christian idea of sin is that no sin is committed in a vacuum. But it is committed before the gaze of a God who considers it an affront to his nature and to his perfect plan. It's an affront to a holy and perfect God. And so repentance then is to confess to dare stand before the judge who is also the offended party who is deserving of all praise and to come clean before this God in acknowledging his presence. So repentance is to bring your guilt before this God. Now, having said all of these things, do you realize now how unnerving all of this can be? Because repentance is basically to come right naked, uncovered, and guilty before the God of the universe to whom we are held accountable. Right? This is an uncomfortable thing to do. And so naturally, most of us, we don't uh, plunge ourselves into the depths of what repentance actually is. And it is no wonder why for so many of us, repentance comes so sporadically. And even when we are engaged in it, it tends to be so shallow and so powerless. Where it doesn't lead to the kind of happiness and blessedness that is promised in this text. And so what we find is that the promise of happiness is there at the other end of it. But the practice of repentance to get there is so daunting. And so the question is, how are we to do this? Right, It's a monumental task that has the power to change your life, and yet it is so incredibly difficult. And what we find is that for us to do this, and for us to repent, to truly repent, we actually need to know the power of forgiveness. And so let's take a look at this last point here, the power of forgiveness. 
Now, let's notice in verse 5, as soon as David repents, what happens? Let, let, let me read for you verse 5, where he says, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And what does it say right after? Almost abruptly, it says, And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Now, at this point, it's really easy to simply pass this by and see it as a simple sequence of events. But we have to take a moment to pause here because notice the lead up up to this point. Right, David, up to this point, has actively tried to silence his guilt. Right, we see that his bones were wasting away. He was groaning all the time and his strength was sapped until he finally caves and gives in. And he says, I can't take this anymore. And so he decides, okay, I will go to God and repent. But as soon as he does, what happens? There is no lead up after this. There is no hesitation from God. There is no investigation that is done. There is no chastising. There is just immediate forgiveness that David receives from God. No questions asked. Now seeing this, I couldn't help but think of the parable of the prodigal son. Remember that story from Luke 15? The parable of the prodigal son where the son takes off with his father's inheritance and he blows it all away. He he goes broke and he finds himself eating food that is thrown at pigs. And in the midst of this uh, situation, he says, wait, you know, I can't believe I'm living this way. I'd rather go be a hired servant at my father's house than live this way. And so what does he do? He comes up with a speech that he'll recite uh, to his father. And so when he thinks of the speech, uh, he then reluctantly tricks back towards the father's house. But in contrast to his son, you know what the father does? It tells us while he, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. For the father, there was no lead up to this point. There were no speeches that were made up. There was no rehearsal, no hesitation. All we see is a father waiting waiting for his son to come back. And as soon as he catches a sight of his son, what does he do? He folds up his robe and runs undignified to his son and throws his arms around him and kisses him. See, friends, confession and praise go hand in hand because you can't have one without the other because at the very moment of your confession, you see a God who is not just holy and righteous, but a God who is at the same time a father running towards you, throwing his arms around you and kissing you. You see, at the very moment of your confession, you get a picture of a God who is so in love with you that he runs to you with forgiveness and love. See, friends, our prayers of repentance tend to be so shallow Right, Not just because we have such a high view of ourselves or such a view, low view of our sin. 
But I think our prayers of repentance are so shallow primarily because we have no idea who God is and what he is like. But friends, once we do, once we get a glimpse of this God, that is what makes all the difference in the world. One commentator says, Confession is like opening the floodgate of a dam. When there is no confession, the waters pile up behind the dam, creating immense pressures on the wall. But as soon as the floodgate is open, the waters subside and the pressures diminish. See, when we come to repent, we don't come to a God who has his arms crossed. And with a watchful eye, looking for every opportunity to judge and punish us, we come to a God who indeed is a judge, but who also is our defense attorney making the case for us. Old hymn that says, Well may the accuser roar of sins that I have done. It says, I know them all and thousands more. My God, he knoweth none. And friends, we know this to be true because of Jesus, don't we? 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we, we might become the righteousness of God. See, friends, on the cross, Jesus was uncovered, torn of his clothes, stripped bare for our iniquities, on the cross, Jesus bore the full weight of our sins with all of its gory details. And for our sake, Jesus Christ, he in our place, faced the perfection of a holy God who demands justice and was punished for us. It is because of Jesus God can now see through us, through and through, and know None of our sins. And friends, as we repent, trusting in this Jesus, that's when we'll experience the arms of God surrounding us with forgiveness. And that is what is going to free us from the guilt that plagues us so. And so friends, will you turn to this God in Jesus? Will you let Jesus be your hiding place and let him protect you from all trouble? And what you'll find is that he will surround you with songs of deliverance. And having tasted that freedom, will you move forward in freedom, joining the chorus of this song and live in the blessedness and the freedom of the gospel? Let me implore you, do not hold on to the guilt that you have. In all of your feeble attempts to absolve yourselves of this guilt, will you experience freedom from those things? Will you bring your guilt before the foot of the cross? And will you experience the Father's arms surrounding you, kissing you, embracing you, and covering your nakedness with his love. Let us pray. 
Our God, we come to you naked, broken, imperfect, flawed, guilty before you, our holy and righteous God. But God, we come to you trusting in your Son, Jesus Christ, who on the cross absolved us of our guilt before you so that all that is left for us to do is to throw ourselves into the arms of of a loving Father. And so, God, we ask by your Holy Spirit that you would allow us now to come freely before you in repentance. May our lives be marked by repentance. We long to do so, God, because we want to experience the blessedness and the happiness and the freedom that awaits us on the other end. And so, God, by your grace and by the power of your Holy Spirit, may all of this be so. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already. And we invite you to check out our website to learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family. Just visit lincolnsquare.redeemer.com.